You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. If you blow off every small moment, two things are going to happen. The first thing is it's not going to change because there's absolutely no reason that anybody's going to change. The second thing that's going to happen is you're probably going to blow up on one of these small moments. It's gonna be the straw that broke the camel's back that's just gonna make you go completely nuts. So you have to act on them. There are different ways to do it. It's not gonna be one size fits all. To the self-made and the self-sufficient, our partner Edelman Financial Engines can tailor investment solutions for the wealth you're building. As a Her Money listener, you'll get a complimentary financial plan when you call 833-304-PLAN or visit planefe.com slash her money. Hey everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining us today on Her Money. Okay, raise your hand if this has ever happen to you, unless you're driving right now, in which case just nod or give us an amen or some other signal. Have you ever been told that you are being too emotional at work? Have you ever been asked to take notes during meetings, even though it is not your job? What about being passed over for an assignment because your boss assumed you'd be too busy taking care of your kids? Two-thirds of women say they have faced sexist behavior just like this at work. My hands were right up with the rest of you. And there is such a wide spectrum of ways that we can be made to feel less than, ranging from being interrupted in meetings to full-blown sexual harassment. But just because we know, we know that we are experiencing sexism, doesn't mean that it's always easy to speak up. And although our society has made strides toward making workplaces safer and better for women, the fight is far from over. Often sexism has just taken on a new, more subtle form with smaller comments or jokes that might not quite count as discrimination in your company's HR manual. And in those situations, It can be even harder to confront the offender. Maybe you freeze. Maybe you decide you don't want to make a big deal out of something small. Maybe you're just simply at a loss for words or afraid that your company will outright dismiss your concerns and label you as a troublemaker. The thing is, we cannot stay silent. Gender-based microaggressions have a huge impact on our careers, on our mental health. Shouldering the burdens of these little comments means that we women are more likely than men to report feeling burned out, stressed, and exhausted at work. And that gender gap has only increased during the pandemic. Gender-based microaggressions can also dovetail with microaggressions around race and sexuality, making the workplace even more fraught for women of color and for queer women. And with all of this, It's no wonder that women led the great resignation, quitting their jobs at significantly higher rates than men. Something's got to be done. 
we have to do something, but how can we best respond to discrimination and foster real change? Well, fortunately for all of us today, a group of women have been working on a guide to help us do just that. They are called the Band of Sisters, and they're six executive-level women who have climbed from the bottom rung all the way to the boardroom at companies across 20 different industries. Their names are Katie Lacey, Lori Tauber-Marcus, Don Hudson, C. Nicholson, Mitzi Short, and Angelique Belmer-Krebs, and they have poured all of their shared wisdom and experience into a new book called You Should Smile More, How to Dismantle Gender Bias in the Workplace. It just hit bookshelves. And today, we've got two of these amazing women with us. I'm going to introduce them one by one so that you can hear their voices. Katie Lacey has been the president and CEO of Crane Stationery and the senior vice president of marketing for ESPN. She also spent 12 years working in marketing at PepsiCo and is currently a board member for the wellness brand Designer Protein. Hey, Katie, thanks for being here. Hi, Jean. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. We also have Lori Tauber-Marcus, who spent 24 years at PepsiCo before working as the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at the Children's Place. She was also Executive Vice President at Keurig Green Mountain and the Interim Chief Marketing Officer at Peloton. She's currently on the boards of Fresh Del Monte Produce and 24-Hour Fitness. Lori, welcome to you. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. Thanks for having me today, Jean. And full disclosure, guys, Lori and I have not seen each other in about three and a half decades, but we did <laughs> know each other in college. <laughs> Let's start with your book. And Katie, let me start with you. Women still face all these forms of sexism that I was talking about. Why did you decide to zero in on the smaller moments? Well, as we were talking about how we progressed and the moments that we encountered, we realized these are the insidious things that are the barriers from creating a culture that values and includes women. It's these little things. And as you mentioned, they're exhausting. They cause women to start to opt out when they happen too much. And the more we dug into it, and the more we spoke with younger women as well, we realized it's still happening. And we thought we had something to add to the conversation, not just for women to address. I think the most important thing that we want to do here is bring men into the conversation because for too long, people tell women what they need to do differently. And we want to provide some tools and tips and helpful hints to the women, but we really want to open it up and make the men aware so that we can end these moments, we can stop them from happening, we can make them not happen at all and increase inclusion that way. So let's parse the definition for a second. What exactly counts as a gendered microaggression, Lori? There were six of you. I cannot, I've written books with co-authors. I cannot imagine having six. <laughs> Was there any disagreement about what fell into the category when you were all writing the book? Yeah. So it's such a great question. And parenthetically, people always say to us, 
can your second book be about how six women wrote a book together? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when people say that, I always thought it was kind of a gendered thing, like, oh, how do six women do anything? And people are really interested, like, no, like, did you each take a chapter? Like, how did you actually do it? And I have one word, maybe it's actually two, which is Google Docs. I've joked before that we should be sponsored by Google because we could not have written this book without Google Docs. But to answer your question specifically, I think... We didn't have disagreement necessarily about what were these micro moments, microaggressions. Some people call them, you know, accidental sexism. I think we pretty much agreed on what they were. I think where it became interesting was actually, and it's part of the what I think the joy of the book is, there isn't one right way to deal with it. So where we disagreed, but in a really productive way, was how do you deal with it? I don't think we realized this when we started writing the book was that's the joy of the book is there it's not like there's one author telling you the one right way to deal with something so in any moment whether it's you know being called a girl versus a woman or someone swearing in front of you and then said oh I'm sorry little lady excuse my French or you know whatever it is or being asked to take the notes in the meeting even though you're clearly one of the more senior people in the room and it's not your job Whatever the micro moment might be, I think where it got interesting was when we had different points of view of how you might deal with it, what you might say and do, both as the woman experiencing it or as an ally or, you know, bystander, as well as if you were the boss. So you just named three of them, right? The notes, the cursing, the smile. Are there any other really common ones that women face? One of the things we talked about, and I wouldn't say it's not so much in a moment or an aggression, but it's more of a thing that happens that every woman we talk to counts the room. So when you're in a room, you just unconsciously calculate what percentage of you are there in the room. When you're a woman of color, the math is worse. So that was just one of those examples where, as we talked about it, you could see people thinking like, oh, right, I do that too. I didn't know everybody did that. So that was kind of an interesting one. We each sort of have a favorite, I think among the six of us, we each have a favorite quote unquote chapter that we like. One of the ones that I really like is all of these microaggressions that are around lazy language. And I also do executive coaching, so I think this really resonates with me. So things like, it's not just the you should smile more, you know, what's the impact of that? I mean, that's kind of a lazy thing to say, but, you know, when you're doing, you know, performance reviews or something like that, talent assessments, and they'll be talking about a guy and they'll say, literally, like, he's a great guy. And I'm talking about Fortune 100 companies. I'm not talking about like a little kind of rinky ding thing. People say, like, oh, yeah, like Jim, he's a great guy. And then they'll get up and they'll have the same conversation about a woman and they'll say, well, did she make her sales plan? Did she promote people? How did she do introducing? new products. And so there's this kind of, again, this lazy language that sort of brings men along. And then for women, it's often things like, "Mm, I'm just not sure she's a great cultural fit. Or one of my quote unquote favorites is, you know, I'm just not sure she has the gravitas for this more senior role. There are these very sort of cloudy things that you can't really put your hands around. And so they're very hard to do something about because they're just sort of smoke screens that are thrown out there. And I will say in fairness, I don't believe they're done with any malice aforethought. I don't think people are trying to be malicious. I think a lot of it is truly unconscious that people don't realize that they're doing this, ergo why we're writing about it and trying to increase awareness. 
But even just that example is so, I mean, I could pick it apart in the so many ways that it is frustrating, right? I'm a small woman with a not particularly booming voice, right? And the gravitas, I think, could be and probably has been applied to me in many ways, in many, many instances. And you're thinking, all right, well, I took the voice lessons. What else do you want from me, right? It's just, it's a little squishy and undefinable. And that makes it really, really difficult to deal with. I was struck by a lot of the chapters that aren't about the things that people do and say that are detrimental to women, but the things that aren't being said or done, that women are being excluded from certain parts of work culture that also can take the form of gender discrimination. Can you give some examples of what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, we explore the areas of the after-work drinks, the after-work trivia nights, the things that just happen organically among the guys in the office and they don't include the women. And then the women are left out of those relationships, those chances to bond. And then those things can translate directly into promotion discussion over who knows who better and who has that kind of bond that might actually accelerate their movement. So you can see a direct line there. Certainly there are the golf outings and the sporting events. We've got examples of being asked to go on a hunting trip, things that are not your traditional woman's desires. And I think what we like to talk about is these are important places and how do women both make sure that they get included, but then also task leaders with understanding that these are happening and find ways to make them more inclusive because you want to build those teams and you want to build those bonds. So it's incumbent on the leaders to make sure that everyone on their team is being included and given those opportunities. Well, stay with that, Katie. Let's say you know there is something happening. Maybe it's a dinner, maybe it's drinks, maybe it's golf. I hope it's not hunting, but maybe it's hunting. What do you do? You know it's happening. You've been included enough in the conversation that A, you know it's happening, and B, you know you're not invited. So what's the move? We were pretty universal on this one in our conversations, and the move is to show up. And it takes digging deep. We've talked to other women who did this, and you walk in and you just endure that split second and then you get yourself included. You gotta get yourself in there. Other things you can do is you get yourself an ally. You have a guy that's going to things and you say, hey, can I come with you? Or you grab another woman and you say, hey, they're all going to this trivia night, let's all go. And you find a way to get there. So that's what the woman can do in these situations. But it's also incumbent, as I said, on bystanders. So let's say I am the guy. And I've got this woman that I work with who I think is pretty awesome. And I notice that it's all these guys or she's not included. I include her. And the same thing with leaders is figure out how to create other opportunities. You don't need to police everybody. This isn't about, you know, kind of controlling everybody's time after work, but you can make sure that you're creating opportunities that everybody is included and comfortable in. So Lori, tell me about when you just showed up. What was it? Because I honestly, I don't know that I would have the guts to do it. 
<laughs> yes. I think, I mean, one thing I just wanted to point out, we interviewed, I don't know, hundreds of women, probably 25 to 40 years old for this book, because we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just the point of view of women who had experienced this over the past 30 years or so. We wanted to make sure that it really resonated with younger women as well. And one thing I would say I learned from the younger women is there's definitely more sort of calendar transparency in this digital era than there was when we were, you know, young assistants and associates in the workplace. So people are very comfortable now going on Outlook and seeing what's going on and then slacking somebody and saying, hey, what's this trivia thing tonight? I wasn't sure about that. Like, what time is it? Where is it? And just showing up. So I think for me, the examples that I would use are times where there was people, you know, going out for drinks after work. Not so, It usually didn't happen at work for me. It usually happened when we were at an offsite. We were at a sales meeting. We were at some sort of a big meeting. So it wasn't that everyone was like at the office and leaving, but it was sort of the after the dinner, where are people going? And my strategy is always to bring a friend. I think those things are incredibly difficult to show up by yourself, but everything is easier. And whether that friend is a, a woman or a man or, you know, anybody, it's just always easier when there's strength in numbers. And I think there's something about just even just being there, sort of smiling confidently. I think about the whole sort of, you know, power posing your way through it, smiling, standing up straight. And one of our colleagues, Mitzi, has a great saying. I think it's the three W's. You, you walk in, walk around, walk out. Right. And so I always tell people, don't stay till two o'clock in the morning. Nothing good. Nothing good ever happens after 11 o'clock <laughs> at night. But show up, show up with a smile, have something in your glass, walk around and then leave. And you're making a powerful statement just by being there. So while we agreed that showing up is really important, we also had a good debate about what are some of the other things that you can do when it's duck hunting and things like that. And one of the things that I favored is when you know about some of these things in advance that you think are not going to be welcoming environments, duck hunting, things like that, is while I don't favor doing the sort of housework of the office, right? I don't favor being the one to do the culture task forces and organize the brunch for somebody who's going out on maternity leave and planning the parties. I don't favor that as a general rule. But one of the times where I will break my own rule is to be on the committee where you're organizing things that happen at offsites, because then you can do things like a trivia night, a scavenger hunt, you can do Beach Olympics and things like that versus some of the traditional things that may not feel as welcoming for you. Excellent points, all of them. And the comment that you made, Lori, about the calendar transparency, I think it's really interesting how far we've come there. I also think it can be incredibly frightening. I have a person in my orbit who knew that layoffs were coming and knew who was getting laid off because they could see a 20-minute slot on the calendar of a variety of people days before it happened. So I think we all need to be a little careful there. While we're talking about microaggressions, Katie, sometimes I think we don't trust ourselves. Sometimes we aren't sure that what we experienced is real, that what we experienced is valid, and we doubt our own feelings. How do you know? It's an excellent question. And one of the most interesting things I think we heard and uncovered as we were 
talking to younger women is they go through this phase. It's their first job, their second job. And instead of attributing it to gender bias or sexism, they think it's because they're young. And then when they look around and they realize that the men who are at their same level are not getting treated exactly the same. They realize that it's not just because they're the most junior person in the room. And sometimes it takes years. And by that point, it's almost like you've endured several years of this. And it can be very difficult. I think it can challenge your own sense of stability and self-worth and all of these other things that are so important. But I think what we are saying is that you've got to acknowledge them. You've got to notice them. You've got to acknowledge them. And you've got to figure out how to act on them. And again, this is the women and this is also the bystanders and the leaders. Because these are all small moments, if you blow off every small moment, two things are going to happen. The first thing is it's not going to change because there's absolutely no reason that anybody's going to change. The second thing that's going to happen is you're probably going to blow up on one of these small moments. It's going to be the straw that broke the camel's back that's just going to make you go completely nuts. So you have to act on them. And if it's talking to other women, talking to men, finding ways to talk about it, identify it, and then determine how to act. And we talk about whether you act in the moment, you pull somebody aside separately, you preempt it in a future case when you anticipate that something might happen, there are different ways to do it. It's not going to be one size fits all. I want to dig into salaries and I want to dig into how these microaggressions affect the earning potential that women have. But before we do that, let me just remind everybody that while we're talking about the wealth you're building, our partner Edelman Financial Engines can tailor investment solutions for that wealth, for the wealth that you're building and growing and protecting. Their investment management approach is actually based on Nobel Prize winning research and their planners don't sell products to earn commissions, period. So no matter where you're going next, see how they can help you get there. I'm talking with Katie Lacey and Lori Tauber-Marcus, co-authors of You Should Smile More, How to Dismantle Gender Bias in the Workplace. I just love the use of the word dismantle in the title, I gotta tell you guys, because I think it's very appropriate. So when we're talking about salary, when we're talking about pay, and the frustrating fact that we still have a very, very stubborn gender wage gap. How do microaggressions affect the earning potential of a woman? Where do they fit into the puzzle? And is there anything that we can do about them, again, from our end, but I guess from the employer's end as well? Lori? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think there's a couple things. The first one, the primary thing that I would say on this area is all the things that we talked about before, the things that are, you know, sort of said or unsaid, you know, oh, she just doesn't have the gravitas or even things like when someone is, you know, new to a role and they'll say, oh, did you meet the new girl in accounting? You know, we would never say, did you meet the new boy we just hired from Yale? So some of those things, they just sort of stay out there and unconsciously they sort of imprint on people's brains. You see a, you know, a director, senior director level woman, and she's always the one taking the notes or she's the one planning the party 
parties. So these little subtle things, they kind of add up and become a little bit of your story. So then when you're actually going to talk about a raise or a promotion or something like that, that is a little bit of the reality, whether people realize that or not, it's kind of how you're viewed. How you're viewed is not just the sum of your work, it's the sum of all of those little things. So we've tried very hard in the book not to make it a book telling women all the things that only they can do to make things better. That's not fair. But I'm going to point out one of the things that we've talked about, which is when you are going to talk about a promotion, a raise, a mid-year calibration, end of year review with your boss, Many women stereotypically tend to overfocus on showing that they really understand their development needs, they're really working on their development needs, instead of coming in like, a, you know, we call it get paid like Paul or sort of be like Bill, which is go in and use your, I'll use my example, use your like very solid organization skills to have on a piece of paper the things that you have done, your accomplishments, lots of facts and figures, and not start off the headlining with what you might do better or what you're planning to work on next year, but be very concise about what you've done, what you're proud of, the achievements, how you've brought the team along, et cetera, et cetera. And ask for the number? I would not call myself an expert on negotiating for pay raises, but I think what you're getting at, Jean, is very important, which is I think we as women have to get more comfortable asking for the number, asking for what you want. I think that we've sort of, we've been groomed in society, and I did a podcast recently with an expert on this field that talked about these gender stereotypes start as early as like two to three years old. So we've been taught when we were taught, you know, playing Barbies and playing nice and keeping the peace and all of that, we have not necessarily been sort of groomed and trained to just be very methodical about it and ask for what you want. So I think absolutely what you're saying is right, which is we have to get more comfortable just saying what we want and why we think it's important and why we think it's deserved. And then one thing, which is a lifelong developmental need for me, which is then to pause and stop talking. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think if we can get ourselves to take that pause, we force the other person to step up and to fill the silence and to say something and to answer us when we've made this very competent and well thought out case. And the other thing that I find incredibly frustrating is that there is no female synonym for guy that is as easy to say as guy, right? Like I, I'm guilty of calling women girls. I'm guilty of calling myself a girl because women sounds formal. I would never say, oh, you know, the men in the room. I'd say the guys in the room. And if we had a word, it would just be so much easier. We wanted to name a chapter, I'm a great guy too, because we have had that same conversation. There is no synonym. I have this argument with my husband about it. He'll describe somebody as a great guy. And I'm like, let's break that down. This is a guy that you're telling me is a good person, is good at his job. It encompasses all of these aspects. I'm like, but for a woman, you don't get all of that in one conversation. You either say she's nice, which isn't that helpful, or she's good at what she does. And then there's, so anyway, I'm, yes. I hear you. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're at this very interesting point right now in this era of quiet quitting, which somebody on Twitter pointed out is just actually called working. Like if you're just doing your job, right, and you're not going above and beyond, but you are in fact meeting expectations, that's called doing your job. That is called working. But we also are at this point where a lot of people are planning to change jobs right now. More than half of women want to leave their current employer in the next two years. If you're looking to join a new company, it can be tough to tell from the outside if that company is supportive of women. Are there any signs that we should be looking for, Katie, when we're applying for jobs? I think you need to look at representation and look at representation up the line. Because one of the things that we were just talking about is women and the salary gap and where they get held up. And all of that evidence and research suggests that it's at that first promotion to manager and that men are getting promoted based on potential and women get promoted based on performance. And that sets up a time gap right away and then it just multiplies over time. So the first thing that you look at is what's the representation look like and were those women promoted or were they brought in from the outside? Because you see so many companies, they spend so much time trying to fill these levels to drive the diversity numbers, but not necessarily focused on, I get this tremendous talent pool that actually usually is 50-50 in many cases at the bottom, but then they're not getting promoted all the way up. And the only thing that I would add to that is I totally agree. I would add to look at representation, not just by level, but also by function and make sure that Mm. companies aren't only filling their representation with, you know, HR and with some of the more staff functions, I would look at representation in P&L owners, you know, general management roles, because that's really the heart and soul of a commercial business. Great point. We're going to have to wrap this up, but if each of you could distill your experiences into just one crucial piece, your one must-have piece of advice for women looking to advance their careers, and you've both had incredibly successful careers, what would you say? Katie, you first. We talk a lot about this in the book, but the importance of a sponsor. Mm -hmm. And a sponsor is not somebody that you easily go out and get. You tend to be sponsored. But I would say understanding how things happen and how things move and how people get promoted in your company and putting yourself in position to attract the right type of sponsor is really critical. So how do you get one? Just following up on that, because I can't let it sit there without, you know, how do you put yourself in the position where you actually find a sponsor? If you're really lucky, it's your boss, because your boss is in a position to recognize your work your boss is positioned to advocate for you and is somebody whose word is listened to. If you're not in that situation, then finding out, you can look around, you can talk to your peers, you can understand who are the people who are the best advocates for their team, and then work to either get on those teams, reach out to those people, try and have lunch, get a 30-minute, help me understand, let me pick your brain type of conversation and work to get into that. It's not easy, but it's critical to understand. So many women go in search of mentors and mentors are 
positive and helpful, but they are not the same as sponsors and understanding the difference and then working to position yourself is really the key. And for you, Lori? So I'm going to add one add-on to Katie's, which is on the notion of sponsors. Remember that sponsors don't look like what they look like in movies. Probably the biggest sponsors that I've had in my career are people that were the hardest on me. They pushed and they pushed and they pushed me. And it didn't feel like sunshine and rainbows. And it was only in hindsight that I realized by pushing me, they were really pulling me as well. And they probably saw potential in me long before I saw it in myself. So I want to build on Katie's point about the importance of sponsors, but don't delude yourself into thinking that a sponsor is just all happy talk. Amazing. What's next for the Band of Sisters? We have a lot of activities planned, including a beautiful event at PepsiCo where we all met. It was kind of our origin story. So we're going to go back and celebrate a little bit of the legacy of leadership. And then we have a lot of speaking events and we're doing a lot of work with corporations who seem to be very excited about bringing us in and really having us talk to their leadership and their employees more broadly so that we can create awareness and then really try and dismantle gender bias and talking to bosses, talking to allies, and talking to the women that are in this situation. Lori Tauber-Marcus, Katie Lacey, the book is You Should Smile More, How to Dismantle Gender Bias in the Workplace. Thanks so much for doing this. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks, Jean. Thank you. Before we dive into our mailbag, let me remind everyone that Her Money is supported by BCU, a credit union that helps its members feel confident and assured with the peace of mind that always comes from making smart financial decisions. Visit bcu.org to learn about ways you can secure your financial future. Catherine Tuggle joins me now for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. How are you? I am good. I'm feeling... I'm feeling good after that conversation. I like digging in and getting strategic and hearing from smart women who have been there. And I love that just show up strategy. I'm going to have to look for a place to apply that in my life. Look for a microaggression where I'm not invited and then just show up. I love it. I think that fighting back in those ways is the best thing we can do to fight for our fellow woman and end this kind of thing once and for all. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to tell my daughter because I know that that probably happens to younger women who are on their way up more than it happens to women my age. And I think that's just such good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like nothing has ever made me angrier than somebody intentionally trying to ignore my thoughts or somebody intentionally trying to like insinuate themselves into taking credit for your work. Yeah. Somebody trying to take credit for my work. Nothing like makes me angrier, but at the same time, you can't define what's happening. And that in and of itself, I think is why it makes you so mad is because you can't say like X, Y, and Z happened. You're basically stuck talking about how something made you feel. And that's tricky territory, but I think they did a really good job of defining it. Yeah. Catherine, should we dive on into the mailbag? Let's do it. Our first question today is from Brian. He writes, Hi, Jean. What advice do you have for me? I would like to be a resource to my daughters in their relationship with money. I've done relatively well in my career and investments, and I hope I can be of good counsel and financial wisdom, but I don't want any guidance to get lost in a gender and generational gap. 
My daughters are 31, 27, and 24 years old. Thank you in advance. Brian from Dallas, Texas. Brian, I love this question. I think that the best thing that you can do is actually open the door to show your daughters how you've done well with your career and how you've done well with your investments. Invite them into these conversations, invite them into perhaps the meetings that you have with your financial advisors, if you have one, and take it step by step with them. How did you get started? How did you negotiate for your first raise? How did you negotiate for your next raise? What struggles did you encounter along the way? What mistakes did you make that you wish you wouldn't have made? Your daughters will learn as you tell them stories. And yeah, you absolutely should give them specifics as far as you want to be in the 401k. And not only do you want to be in, but you want to be in and investing aggressively enough for somebody your age, which means that you've got the vast majority of your money in stocks and you want to be kicking in enough so that with matching dollars from their employer, they are getting to the point where they are putting away a good 15% a year. Those tactics, those specifics are really helpful. But what's even more helpful is just showing them that this was not always easy for you, that you were vulnerable at times along the way, that you had some stops and starts, that you made a mistake or two, that it wasn't a straight line. Because I'm telling you, your daughters look at you and they think you're perfect. They think you did all of it right. They hope that they are able to do it as successfully and as seemingly easily as you did. And by letting them know that it wasn't that easy for you, you're giving them an incredible gift. The other thing that I I would say is having a plan is really just another word at their ages for having specific goals. So ask them what they want. Ask them what's on their roadmap for the next five years and the next 10 years, and then help them plot the steps to get there. Love that, Jean. I love the idea of coming at it from what their goals are. I think that that makes all the difference in getting a child to learn and understand and get engaged. Right. Because as we talk about, Catherine, Money's a tool to create the life that you want to create. And the operative word in that sentence is you, right? Yeah. It's all about your priorities. And by being accepting of your three daughters' different priorities, Brian, then you're giving them a really big gift. Absolutely. Our next question comes to us from AR. She writes, hi, Jean and team. I've just been offered a job that I am really interested in. The position is not yet eligible to invest in the company 401k until an employee has reached a year of employment, and the position is also not eligible for health insurance until 60 days after employment. But I'd like to be able to invest in the 401k and get health benefits on day one. Do you have any recommendations on how to negotiate for these changes? Thank you so much for all that you and the Her Money team do. 
I absolutely think that you should talk with the person who is hiring you as well as the head of HR or benefits about the possibility of making these changes. I don't think you're going to be successful. And I'm so sorry to say that, but the reason that I don't think that you're going to be successful is that it sounds to me that these are company policies, and if they change them for you, they are going to have to change them across the board. They may not be willing to do that at this moment. So I think you should ask. I think you should give it your best shot. I think you should explain why you want to be able to get into the health plan and the 401k from day one. But I think you should have a backup plan in case they say no. And my backup plan for the health insurance, assuming you are coming out of another job, is to ask them to pay for your COBRA for the first two months to keep you on your old policies health plan or to ask them if they could give you a signing bonus that would cover several months of enrollment on the exchange because you won't have another health policy. And as far as the 401k is concerned, the fallback is to open an IRA or a Roth IRA and just make sure that you make contributions up to the level that you would have put into the 401k this year. In that case, what you're missing out on are the matching dollars, which is unfortunate, but it's not like you're missing out on a full year of retirement plan contributions and you will get some tax benefits along the way. Catherine, as you listen to that answer, I mean, do you think that she's got a shot at getting the plan changed? I agree with you completely. I think, unfortunately, no. If it's a corporate policy, I think it's highly unlikely to get a change on that. But funnily enough, I actually just had a friend who was in this same situation. And so she went back to her company and they ended up providing her with a substantial signing bonus of, I think, $10,000 that they told her could be put towards health insurance and towards IRA contributions. And they basically said here's 10 grand, do with it what you will. But, you know, we hope that you will do as you've said that you wanted and buy health insurance and put money in your IRA. Yeah. And a lot of companies these days are providing these sorts of bonuses, even if that has not been their pattern or their habit in the past. So good luck. Let us know what happens. Yeah. Keep us posted. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you, Jean. And in today's Thrive, you may be worried about a lot of things going on in the economy right now, especially inflation. We have higher rent, higher car prices, and our grocery bills, well, they're up as much as 10% from last year. If you're worried about inflation, you're not alone. 73% of women say that inflation is a moderate or very big risk to our future. Women are more worried about inflation than we are about illness, market volatility, longevity, and unemployment. And all of this data comes from the latest chapter of the State of Women 2020 
2022, a study created by Her Money and our partners at the Alliance for Lifetime Income. Our research with the Alliance looked at how women are thinking about financial risks, what keeps us up at night, and how we're reacting to the markets, as well as how we can best help each other through these hard times. And what we found was that only two in five of us say we know how to protect ourselves from inflation. Fortunately, there are so many ways to fight inflation in our lives and as we head into retirement. Number one thing to do is to focus on paying off any high interest rate debt. That's a powerful strategy that gets better as interest rates rise. Then delay taking Social Security for as long as you can put it off until age 70 in order to increase your monthly benefit. It's also wise to think about how you'll cover your fixed costs in retirement. One strategy is to keep a diversified investment portfolio for growth while using annuities or pensions to cover those costs you know are going to hit you every single month with regularity. And finally, Keep an eye on where your money is going with a budget that you keep up to date. While we're on the topic of risk, our study also asked women about the risks that we might regret not taking in 20 years. At the very top of the list, 57% of us say we'll regret not traveling to places outside of our comfort zones. We also said we want to make more new friends work less to spend more time with family, and say what we really think. We should all definitely do more of that last one. You can find more about the State of Women 2022 by going to hermoney.com. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Katie and Lori for talking with us about ways to create safer, better workplaces for women. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk soon.